The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Maddie Anzovino, a fabric and product developer for Backcountry, talks to OPDD students about the role of sustainability within a product team and the impact designers and developers can have on making more sustainable product and planet. Um, thank you so much for having me and Chase for reaching out. Um, bear with me. It's my first time ever doing anything like this. So I'm excited, a little nervous. Um, put together a little PowerPoint just to mostly keep myself on track um, because sustainability is such a huge and vague topic to a lot of people. Um, and there's just, there's so many different aspects of it that are important to consider. So um, jumping in. Oh, there we go. Um, just a little background about me. My name is Maddie. I am the Fabric and Product Development Associate Manager here for three different private labels. We have Backcountry, Stoic, Basin and Range. I've been here for two and a half years now on the dot. Um, previously, I was working for a fabric mill and vertical garment supplier based in East Asia as their U.S. liaison in New York City. And before that, I was a visual merchandiser at a gear shop in Colorado. So I've been bouncing around a little bit, um, but very passionate about the outdoor product industry specifically and apparel in general. But I love the outdoor industry because this is a side I feel like of apparel that really cares. And um, yeah, we'll dive into that a little bit more. But just a bit more background. I studied fashion merchandising at Texas Christian University. Um, I'm third generation apparel sourcing and development. So, uh, it's, although I've only been in the industry for less than a decade now, I feel like I've been in it my whole life and you really, I know the, the coolest thing is in, in learning about it in school, it gets you like ready to go. And, but I I've learned the most since being out of school. So just soak up everything you can now, but just know you will never stop learning. Uh, I feel like every single day is truly something new. Um, and so in the past just two and a half years here, it's been, it's been pretty spectacular what I've learned. So um, yeah, why sustainability? I, I love that you guys are wanting to talk about this now because when I was in school, I didn't even hear the term sustainability until junior, senior year. And it, it was a bit rattling to learn what was actually happening in the industry and how the apparel industry truly is the second most destructive and pollutant industry in the world next to oil and gas. And I I then felt a heavy responsibility of 
well, a bit of anger, honestly, I don't really know if I want to pursue this. I thought I wanted to be a fashion designer, but then seeing, seeing what was happening in the rest of the world, seeing what, you know, our, our shopping habits here and just the things that we wear, we don't really think about it, but how many hands have touched it? What all is going into it? And where's that waste going? So there was a moment where I questioned if I wanted to even go into this industry. And then I realized I do, I want to try to be a part of the change. I want to work for companies that care. And so that kind of is what led me on the trajectory I took of, you know, I wanted to work straight for a supplier and see what I could influence. And truly after working for a a couple of years for a cotton woven mill in Bangladesh and a factory in Bangladesh and a trim manufacturer outside of Shanghai, I realized that the real power to make change actually comes from the brands, which then, which really stems from the buyers and the the consumer. It's, it's the buying power is really what's, is really what's driving this in the world. And so I'm excited that you guys as a product development program and product creation program want to start talking about this because really it it starts with the product team, um, really educating the consumer. Yes. And, and wanting them to pay the extra premium, but we get to think about all every little detail goes into it. And is the fabric recycled? Um, is it blue sign certified? All these things that we can ask questions. Is it um, tracing back to like the fiber of the merino or the the cotton we use, down to the, the trims and the packaging, um, and all and other things too. I'll dive into all of it. But um, yeah, I'm just I'm thrilled that you guys want to talk about it because. I think this next generation is really going to be driving that change, especially with Gen Z uh, millennial consumers being much more aware and asking for it. It's starting to push the brands. Um, The brands are really the ones who have the power to make changes at factories in terms of what they're paying, in terms of the social responsibility aspects of it. They can come in and make those decisions and push because they have the buying power. Um, So, Building responsible product. Um, thought I would start with a photo of Ryan. He came from your program. He's here leading our Stoic brand and is just absolutely incredible. Um, so here at Backcountry, our our purpose is we want to build product as responsibly as we can. Um, we are still trying to, as a company, build what is our sustainability goals as a full company going to be, which is very different from our team because we just focus on product rather than entire companies doing third party. I mean, so many, we have thousands and thousands of products and a ton of shipping and packaging that they're trying to figure out how it can be more sustainable there. But from our side, um, we have a team of about a dozen people making these three different brands. And we, we try to ask all the questions we can of how can we try to make this more sustainable? Um, where are we making it? How are, what are, like, do, do we trust our suppliers? Do we know our suppliers well? Um, Pre-COVID and now um, hopefully soon we'll go back to visiting our suppliers, which is a huge part of it, is of just that visibility and transparency of where are we making this? Um, where are our fabric mills? Going in there and seeing the whole process and having trusted partners that, we know from over here, overseas, that we can trust what they're doing. Um, uh, being mindful of all the components and materials. Um, like I said, down to even our care labels. We just switched those um, 
you know, the care content labels on the side and little PLID label, we just switched those to be recycled satin, little things like that, that um, you can easily glance over or sometimes becomes an issue in costing. But our team, we just really, we want to try to make that happen wherever we can. Um, We're not perfect. Granted, no brand is, even Patagonia, who I think is the visionary brand of, of sustainability, even admits they're not perfect, but they're working on it. And so um, lastly, we really try to think on strategy of where are we, where are we sourcing this? Um, uh, Anyways, uh, fabric development. So coming to you live from our fabric room, um, I do most of the fabric sourcing for the three brands and, oh no, wait, hold on. Sorry. (laughs) It's just automatically going. Um, And I try to ask questions when, when we pick a fabric header. So say, our our lead merchant has a few different inspirations of of what he or she wants. So I then look at that fabric and think, okay, well, what look at based on the construction of it, is it a woven? Is it a technical woven with nylon, say DWR finish? I have a handful of mills, mostly in Taiwan or Eastern China, that I know specialize in that. And so typically what I do is I start going into my header library from them. I find something similar and from there, try to build off of that of, well, can we use recycled nylon instead of virgin? Um, For the DWR finish, can we use a PFC-free DWR where it's just less chemicals um, unless the product needs a stronger DWR? But we we ask these questions um, based on the pricing of the garment. Can we use a more reputable branded uh, yarn that comes with certifications like Unify Reprieve? They've I think it's billions now, billions of water bottles they've converted into polyester yarn. Um, Aquafil Eco Nil, this is coming from recycled fishnets and um, things like that. There's there's so many new innovative yarns out there. Um, granted, the limitation is typically cost, but we try to see where we can make that fit and where it makes sense. Um, hold some of our products, which I think is an on a slide in a second, but for example, this is, um, I'm really excited about this. This is a shameless plug of a, of a product that just went live. <laughs> it's called our TO down and it's our ultra lightweight, super warm down jacket with 800 fill allied responsible down, which means it's coming from, um, certain lots. You can trace back on the hang tag of seeing where, this goose down was gathered, not plucked. And the face and shell are both a recycled nylon. And looking at this product, even the shot cords, we tried using recycled shot cords. So everything about this, we just said, we're going to build a great product with purpose. How do we try to make it as responsible as we can? Um, and then going to natural fibers. So Cotton and eliacil viscose and wool realm is kind of, those are the three main natural fibers we use here in technical outdoor and kind of the performance casual gear we make. Uh, The cotton, is it, can it be organic? Um, Is it certified BCI, which is better cotton initiative or the global organic standard? Um, There's even recycled cotton now that I'm I'm beginning to see on the market, which is exciting. Um, Eliacil and viscose, super soft fabric that everyone is loving everyone loves rayon and viscose in the fashion realm but 
rayon is one of the more <laughs> toxic and destructive fibers to be produced. So it's really harmful for the mill workers who are creating the rayon, extruding the fabric or the, sorry, extruding the yarns. So I try to stay away from rayon, but there are similar um, wood pulp based uh, yarns that are becoming pretty big on the market now, mostly by lensing, L-E-N-Z-I-N-G. They are pretty phenomenal, um, fully closed loop. I think about 99% closed loop um, supplier where they're focusing on their wood pulp is being sustainably sourced, meaning not a result of deforestation, um, et cetera. And so they have new fabrics. I'm actually wearing one of them now called EcoVero, um, which is a more sustainable viscose and um, tensile modal, which is just the most buttery soft fabric. But again, it's, it's a bit pricier than a typical rayon, which is what most of the consumers are feeling. Um, even at like from Target to Zara to all the Aritzia, all those brands, I feel like have been moving a lot towards the viscose because it's really cozy and comfortable, but um, we're willing to pay that extra premium of which really sometimes doubles the product price just to know where it's coming from and that the traceability of that. And honestly, just peace of mind of making product that I, I feel good about. Um, yeah. Lastly, wool, there's um, responsible wool standard, RWS, um, other wool suppliers where we just trace where's, where is it coming from um, and recycled wool. I'm pretty excited. We just did a, a flannel with recycled wool. Um, that was actually recycled from the mill itself. So they, after they were producing fabric, they took their excess scraps and kind of like re, um, resource that into yarn again, pretty phenomenal. So also, sorry, if I'm speaking too fast, I know I want to get to some questions. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, continuing on in materials and trying to be sustainable in materials. Um, a lot of times blue sign is, is becoming bigger and bigger uh, in terms of marketing. I think Patagonia and Prana were some of the first brands that were putting blue sign on their hang tags. I remember seeing that, um, I think back in like 2015 is when I first started seeing it. And that sparked my interest of what is this? Um, which essentially just to, I know there's probably, you probably do know about it, but when our mills have blue sign certified fabrics, it means they went through some rigorous certification and auditing to come and see, um, is the dye stuff they're using safe chemicals? Um, is, is there a restricted substance list that's not being of, of chemicals that are not involved in it? Um, how are they processing the water after dyeing and after scouring and finishing the whole material and textile process is possibly the most destructive part <laughs> of this industry because of the water usage and what they do with the water afterwards. So a lot of um, more advanced mills and factories are beginning to have water treatment facilities on their property and cycling through it that way. Um, OECOTEX 100 standard certification is, is, again, with the restricted substance of um, toxic and harmful substance and chemicals not being involved in the fabric process, um, which that is becoming a, 
I'm noticing that on a lot more hang tags. Um, recently I saw targets home collection is a week of text 100. And I just think that's awesome of a, of a, a bigger distributor, um, showing that they care. Um, and lastly, is it a free certification? This is something that is not really, um, marketed, but I keep this on our, I send a fabric data sheet to our mills every time we choose a fabric, if I want to know all the details about it. Um, and typically they'll give me a certification number of the blue sign or Ecotex and ASO free standard. Um, technical finishes. So being in the outdoor industry, DWR is everywhere. Wicking is everywhere. Antimicrobial is everywhere. But the real question then is, is it natural based on the yarn itself or the construction of the knit or the weave, or is it a chemical finish being applied? Which most of the time, DWR finishes are chemical. Um, so carbon six, a C6 is the most standard. Um, C8 is on more, I would say, burly DWR products like Gore-Tex. Um, and then there's C0, which is PFC-free DWR. Um, slight disadvantage of that is it's not as strong of a water repellent. And sometimes it can leave a little chalky residue on the surface of the fabric, but it's um, fluorofluorocarbon-free. Um, I think I got that right. Very, a very long term that I never, I, I can't spell to save me. But <laughs> um, so looking at our products, um, the down I just showed a minute ago, this one we keep a C6 because this is our technical pursuit down. This has an end use of technical alpine climbing. Um, it's the whole garment is kind of engineered to fit under a harness and um, under our touring ski bibs. So that is, we really want to protect from the elements. So we chose to keep a stronger DWR there versus our Stansbury down jacket, which this one we kept a C0 on because it's more of our casual piece, although it can be used for the same activities. It's a bit heavier. It's not as lightweight, not as high-end premium technical. So this one we felt... Um, we could, we could sacrifice a little bit of that extra strength because it still performs, but again, just trying to break down of where we think it could work and how to make it as responsible as we can. Um, and then more striking and antimicrobial. Um, I've been finding a lot of really cool knits recently where the yarn itself has these properties. And so that is honestly the best way to go is usually a bit more expensive, but because those, then the moisture wicking and antimicrobial finishes that are applied won't be washing away after 10 or 15 washes. If it's yarn based or construction based, not only is it free of chemicals, free of extra water processes, it's everlasting. Um, and yeah, then one last thing is um, something to keep your eye out for in terms of I think where the industry is going for sustainability is solution dyed. So solution dyed is really cool because pretty much um, everything we've been doing um, is piece dyed or yarn dyed, which means this fabric, the grays of this fabric is all woven up and then we separate it and we dye this rhododendron and this is dyed quartz pink and whatever. Um, but solution dyed is really cool because the dye is mixed in with the solvent before it's even like extruded as yarn. So then the yarn comes out already dyed, 
which in the long run, it won't fade. It has better color fastness. And then you're just avoiding all the gallons of water that are needed to be used for dyeing. The disadvantages of that, though, is a lot of times um, like Gore-Tex is beginning to offer solution dyed, but instead of having to place an order six months mm. in advance, you have to place it a year in advance, which currently our calendar does not work with that. And they also are limited to a palette of 20 fixed colors to choose from. So the industry is moving that way, but the limitations are pretty much time, cost, um, higher minimums you have to commit to, and then Sometimes you can't even do your custom colors. You have to choose from a ready stock palette of what they've already developed. But uh, I'm hopeful that it becomes um, easier in the next few years and more accessible for a lot of brands to begin doing that because that would be huge. Um, so these are the two products I was just showing. Um, these are two I'm, I'm really proud of that we built. Uh, pretty much we were given the product direction of what they wanted. And then our team said, okay, well, how can we how can we try to make it recycled where we can, or um, what can we do to try to make it, you know, as sustainable as possible? Um, and yeah, so I'm really excited. These actually just went live on our website this last week. So pretty exciting to see that they're real and out there. Um, other things to consider when building product. So aside from fabric, which is obviously the biggest component of a garment because it is the garment, um, there's trims, packaging, and insulation to think about. Um, granted, there's other things too, but this is just, um, this is where we go and where we're at right now in our sustainable process of these are the questions we ask of, can our buttons and snaps, our, our zipper pullers, um, even like our external woven labels, can these all be made from recycled or repurposed materials? Um, and something pretty cool, one of our suppliers sent me recently is a catalog of plant fiber-based trims, which pretty cool. They have a little grainy effect. Um, they're created from pulp and husk and stem um, from food waste and whatnot. And just exciting, creative things that our trim suppliers are, are bringing to us and bringing to the table. Um, we've been looking at using like a coconut husk button, uh, for one of our shirts. So there's more options in terms of more than just a recycled plastic. Um, a lot of suppliers are getting really creative with how they can use even food waste. So, um, packaging and labels. First question is, is all of our packaging necessary? Um, when some of my team members and I started here, we were using a, like these huge thick poly bags and a ton of tissue paper, and these big hang tags and, we're, and we realized do we really need this i mean currently we're we're mostly online we have a few retail stores now which those do need hang tags but do we need all the tissue paper can we make this poly bag at least from recycled polyester are there biodegradable poly bags we can look at so little things like that that all add up and honestly the costing of all these is getting easier and easier because some of our suppliers won't even make a poly bag unless it's recycled. So at that point, it's, it's a pretty fair trade-off. We may be paying one or two extra cents, um, which when it comes down to pennies, it's, it's really a no-brainer. So, uh, and lastly, insulation materials. So we use all of our down goose feathers from Allied RDS. 
Um, I mentioned it earlier, but all the hang tabs come with a tracking number. We can see exactly where the goose down came from. Um, super transparent. Um, we use from Polar Tech and Primaloft, they have their synthetic insulation. Most of it is now 100% recycled polyester. Um, I haven't even received a book from them recently that's not recycled. So uh, the industry is moving that way. And it's really exciting because um, a lot of big brands like Patagonia, who have been pushing for this for the last you know decades, they've been paving the way to make it easier for smaller brands like us to easily step in. Um, and it's just getting easier as we go on. Um, another thing we've been doing here, uh, which I can't, I can only really speak on it from just sitting next to our tech designers and working so closely with them. Uh, but we are, we've started using Clo 3D and it is pretty phenomenal. And so our hope in the, this next year is to reduce half to two thirds of our sampling we do by doing it all digitally. Um, this saves honestly a month per sample instead of having to wait three to four weeks for the factory to figure out our patterns, to make it in their sample room, and then to ship it all the way from you know Southeast Asia to here, we can just do it virtually. And our senior tech designer, who is just phenomenal at this, is able to fix the pattern making and show then our head buyer, who really would be the one reviewing the first proto to begin with. And sometimes they make pretty significant changes, which would be almost redesigning the style. And instead of having to say, wait a month and having our factory do all this work for us, we're able to save time and do it here, get the specs as close as possible. And the first sample that we then receive from the factory based off this pattern is close to perfect of what we're wanting. Um, it's been interesting to see, I sat in a webinar last week and they were saying this technology has actually been around since 2001 or 2002, uh, which I had no idea. It was, it's been that long, but a lot of brands have been really hesitant until the pandemic hit. And so um, if anything, the pandemic has helped this industry is pushing for more digital communication, um, which reduces time, reduces unnecessary labor, um, all of that transit of mailing packages back and forth and no need to make a sample roll of fabric just for a sample that once you receive, once you see it, maybe you don't want it anymore. And so we are super excited because it saves a lot of time on our end and our factories love it. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And lastly, Aside from just materials and uh, outside from the technology, a, a huge part of trying to build sustainable product, it really comes down to planning and strategy. Um, you, you need to be committed and, and want to be sustainable because it then it, it comes in kind of every question of where are we making this? Does this make sense to make this in this country if our fabric's coming from here? Um, what's the priority? Do we need this factory that has these capabilities? Or do we want to use this, you know, premium fabric from Japan? Okay, well, then let's try to find a factory near there to reduce the transit. Um, using dead stock available fabrics. Cotopaxi is amazing at this. Um, using available, like what is probably going to get destroyed or thrown away or burned, um, they end up using in their products. And sometimes this works really well. Um, we've tried doing this for more smaller components. So say... Or 
um, this jacket, we have like a woven back panel. So for this, we reached out to our factory and said, can you help us find available fabric that's in, you know, in stock? We just need a black. We can use black across all. We can minimize the colors. So no need to dye and make all the special fabric for it. So in those little ways, um, it's really just trying to be thoughtful of like every component, um, which is hard and not every product is perfect or super sustainable. And um, like I said, it's just, it's really having to break down all of the aspects as you're making it and kind of questioning everything. Um, last thing in terms of strategy is hitting order minimums. So if any of you guys end up going into development, this is one of the harder conversations usually to push back on um, merchants and designers of they may have ideas of using this fabric for this product and this for this and whatever, and um, maybe wanting just to do a small run of only 300 pieces. But most of the bigger mills and technical fabric mills require a pretty standard order minimum of 3,000 yards per grade. So the type of just the blank fabric and then 1,000 yards per color. And when you can't hit that minimum, they still have to make that anyways. Um, as you can see in this photo, the rolls are just huge. Um, in this photo, they're actually, they were sewing two different rolls of grades that were all going to be dyed together. So here it's, it's one way to of just kind of fighting, pushing back um, and on the other half of your team who's doing more of the planning and visualizing and concepting to say, well, I really want, I want to support our mills because it helps them to hit these minimums. And then we're ensuring that, you know, we're not just buying 800 yards and they're making 3000 and what are they going to do with the other 2,200? So a big and a hard, pretty hard factor of this that um, is always a challenge um, because it requires a lot of planning and strategy of where to share fabric, share colors, um, but something pretty huge to, to keep in mind. Um, and yeah, and also just in, in terms of the line plan in general, um, towards my last points here, kind of having a clear plan from the get-go with your factories, um, reducing the changes you do and, and not trying to just overdevelop and choose, like maybe we'll design 20 things and we only go forward with five. That is a lot of wasted time, labor, materials. So being more cognizant from the get-go of let's produce what we believe in, um, and that helps, that helps the factories too. Uh, I think a huge question, um, at least a lot of my friends who aren't in the industry are usually confused about is just why isn't everyone sustainable? Everyone's talking about it. That's where we're going. But truly, I think a huge issue is um, the consumers wanting it. Uh, are they willing to pay the extra price? Because there's some brands out there that you know, have a $2 tank top and it's created this morphed image of what apparel is worth and not really breaking down all of the hands involved in making it, uh, the six to even 18 months teams are developing it and designing and fighting and arguing over things and, and all of the, the mindfulness of that we're putting into trying to build this product and then everything that comes in terms of sustainable materials is extra time, extra money. Um, recycling polyester from water bottles. I, I don't know the exact cost of what it takes to take a water bottle and to yarn again, but I do know it adds sometimes a dollar to 
a $4 fabric, which then adds say $2 to a garment, which doesn't sound huge in the long run, but once you start multiplying everything up, it increases the the product price and you know, who is your customer? Are they willing to pay an extra even $20 in the end for something that they they may see at <coughs> or an H&M that is a third of the cost? Um, usually takes more time as well. Um, a lot of the fast fashion brands do work really quickly. Um, whereas we try to spend, you know, the outdoor industry, I think is typically on a 12 to 18 month calendar. So we do have usually more time to look at a fabric and ask those questions and try to develop it to be more sustainable if we can. Um, and yeah, honestly, the biggest issue we've had this year is huge supply chain issues. There is just a yarn shortage across the whole world. And so it's been like daily emails of, fact of our fabric mills trying to lock down of, can we order this special yarn? Like recycled is typically considered special. Um, and it's just not something they keep in stock, like other regular commodity polyester, commodity nylon. And these mills are just fighting each other to secure the yarn. Um, if you don't have yarn, you don't have fabric. And so, uh, yeah. And lastly, I think some brands are unwilling to change because in order to push yourself to be more sustainable, it is costly. And like I said, it takes time, but when it comes down to it, a lot of businesses focus on, they don't want to reduce their margins, lose profit. Um, which is why I love being at a company that cares about it. Um, and we can have these conversations of, well, it's going to increase the garment by this much, but we think it's important. Um, and yeah, lastly, um, when I, like I mentioned, I was in school, I wanted to learn about sustainability, this big, huge umbrella topic, but I didn't really know how to start or where to go. And truthfully, I've learned the most from just being in the, the thick of it, but um, I really suggest um, you guys subscribe to Sourcing Journal. This is my personal favorite publication. I'm not the type where I can read like eight different um, newspapers in the morning. I just, I like, they send me a morning, even afternoon email of just different things going on in the industry, whether it's this company bought out this or Nike just launched this or um, everything from sustainable articles to just industry news. Um, I've learned a lot from it. Um, trade shows. If you can, if there's a trade show near you or you can travel to one and register, uh, I highly recommend. There's always seminars there where people who have just been leading in the industry for decades go and speak. And it's, it's amazing. And then you can ask these, you know, incredible experts uh, questions and you just hear from them and um, I've learned a lot from uh, outdoor retailers, a huge one that I'm sure you guys probably go to. There's also magic sourcing magic in Vegas. Um, there's performance days, functional fabric fair in Portland, um, text world in New York. So there's a good, there's a good bunch of them here. Um, and a lot of them have been online, like sourcing at magic is online right now and free. So I sat in one yesterday. There's another one next week of just webinars and um, people from all over the world um, are attending. And it's just it's exciting to get together as an industry and 
talk about it because no one's fully figured it out and everyone's just trying to share what they know. Um, yeah, I also highly, highly, highly recommend if you've not seen the true cost, um, this is what I watched later in my college career that really opened my eyes to what's going on in the industry. And I think the biggest thing we need to be as developers, as creators is we need to be aware. Um, we can't be ignorant to what's going on. I think awareness Awareness is huge because the more you know, the, the more you realize you don't know. And it's pretty daunting how huge of an effect um, just a shirt can have on the global perspective of things. And so um, it's a pretty, it's a hard, it's a hard film to watch because it, it really shows kind of what happened in Bangladesh in 2013, the Rana Plaza collapse. And um, really it's just driven by U S consumerism, if you ask me. Um, and it's given me more drive and purpose of why I want to try to build product as best as I can and think about our factory workers and where we're making it. And um, yeah, just knowing, just knowing we have any kind of influence in it is, is huge. So, okay. I feel like I've just rambled for <laughs> 30 minutes. Um, I think we have 10 right. minutes left. So well, we're actually, we're out of time. Out of time? Okay. Um, so I was going to ask, are you okay if I post your email in the assignment link for the students? If they have questions, they can reach out through email. Would that be all right? Perfect. Yeah. I'm so right. sorry. There's no time to. No, it's my fault. We had technical problems in the beginning that ate up a good bit of time. So well, let's thank Maddie. Let's give a round of applause. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.